Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 77. Today, we're continuing our series on women in leadership, and what does it mean to speak up, stand together, and share our stories? Let's do this! Hey everybody, thank you guys so much for continuing to join us on this journey and on this very important conversation. We've been doing this series on women in leadership and today we have Reverend Dr. Grace Kim with us who is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA and a professor of theology at Earlheim School of Religion. She received her MDiv and her PhD from the University of Toronto and she's a decorated author and a podcast host. You need to go check out her podcast. It's called Madang, which holds conversations on Christianity, religion, and culture. That is so awesome. This is like cross-podcasting. We love it so much. So Grace, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, we have Bernard, Xenia, and Shu here. How are you guys doing? Yo, yo. Hello. Hi. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to join you today. So thank you so much for the invitation. The honor is all ours, absolutely. And so, Grace, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What are you all about? Oh, there's so much dimensions about me, so I would need a few hours. But anyway, just to keep it short, as you mentioned, I teach theology at Earlham School of Religion, and I write books, I lecture, and I recently started, as you mentioned, Madang Podcast, which is now hosted by Christian Century Magazine. So please check it out. I've had nine episodes so far. So I've had Reverend Jackson, Reverend Al Sharpton, and the most recent one is Dr. Kristen Dumay on her New York Times best-selling book, Jesus and John Wayne. You know, I grew up in London, Ontario. And then after grade 10, we moved to Toronto. So I, you know, I did all my other schooling in Toronto. My undergrad is from the University of Toronto in psychology. And then I did my MDiv at Knox and my PhD at University of St. Michael's, which is all at the University of Toronto. So I really miss Toronto. I left Toronto in 2004 to come to the States to teach. And I visit often, but since the pandemic, I haven't been up there. So I'm waiting for the border to reopen so I can go and visit family and friends. I love Toronto. Toronto's one of the best cities in the world. So it's great to join you all today. That is so nice of you to say about Toronto. Yes, yes Toronto. It's got everything. You know, I, vis- I travel a lot to, to lecture and to teach. And Toronto has everything. It's got a zoo, museum, art gallery, uh, world-class university, great food. 10% of the population are of Chinese descent. So, you know, you get great Chinese food and, you know, the whole world is living in Toronto. So it's one of the best cities and it's so friendly and clean. So I really, really miss Toronto. And you know what? Maybe on just behalf of Toronto, we say that we miss you. Can we say that? <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> now it's on this podcast. It is official. And so it's out there. It is okay, out there. Thank you. Thank yes. you for missing me. <laughs> Maybe one day we can do a live episode and then we yeah. can actually be in person. 
Yeah, that would be great. That would be so fantastic because everything for the last year and a half has been via Zoom or some other internet. So it'd be great to meet people in real life. Oh, we look forward to that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. For all of our listeners, please go check out Reverend Dr. Grace Kim's podcast. There's a lot of great content on there, great conversations. So please do do that. And so as we kind of get started today, I was wondering if you could share a little bit with us about your journey into ministry. What has that been like? And, you know, part of that is your journey into academia as well. And so what has that process looked like? And what has that experience been like for you? Wow, that's that's a really deep question. And actually, much of that answer is in my upcoming book called Invisible. So I talk a lot about my journey as an Asian American theologian. You know, I was born in Korea and we immigrated in 1975 to Toronto. And, you know, I think growing up in the 70s and 80s, it was never easy for anyone who wasn't white. So much of that has impacted me. And when I think about, you know, call to ministry, I felt the call to ministry during high school. And I was very fortunate to have a young Korean youth pastor who kind of guided me and um, helped me kind of with this struggle uh, of a call to ministry. And I think call to ministry um, happens in different ways. You know, God calls us in different ways. And there's so many different ministries out there. So for me, it is really a ministry of teaching and preaching and writing. But it has not never been easy, you know, uh, during high school when I struggled with it. And in my undergrad at the University of Toronto, I also did some studies at Ewart College, which is now part of Knox College. Ewart did the Christian education program for a Presbyterian church in Canada. So I have a certificate in Christian education. But even during that program, I was struggling with, you know, God calling me as a Korean American young woman into ministry. And what is that ministry going to be? So in my undergrad, I struggled. I didn't know what form of ministry it was going to be. I just felt a call to ministry. And so it's always been a struggle. And then right after my MDiv, I decided to do the PhD program in theology. During that, I was wondering, what is God actually calling me to do? And when I finished uh, my PhD, I believe I was the first Korean woman with a PhD in theology. I think since then, there's been a handful more Korean women from the University of Toronto. But being one of the first and not knowing which path I'm supposed to take was difficult. And, you know, now 20 years later, I'm always struggling. So it's another journey of struggling, but that's kind of in a nutshell of uh, my call to ministry and how racism and sexism have been big factors in forming much of my theology and has informed my writing. And so my new book that will be coming out in November, Invisible, really touches on those things. It's one of my most personal books. And, you know, I just finished going over the copy editing and then the typesetting And I realized how personal it is. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have put all this stuff in because I submitted (laughs) the book probably last 
December. So it's been many, many months since I looked at it again. So, but it's in there and I hope it will be helpful for many, particularly Asian American women, because that is what the book is kind of, the audience is geared to, but it's for all people because I think many people outside the Asian American community do not understand the struggles that we face. You know, living in Toronto when 10% of the population is of Chinese descent, it's still, you still experience racism. There is discrimination and marginalization. There is a notion of invisibility. So it is difficult. And it's the same here in the U.S. I want to just say thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much for recounting what that was and how particularly how those experiences were part of your life and how they impacted you and what God has done in your life as well. And so thank you so much. I think we need to be hearing and listening to all the voices, especially the voices of those who have gone through different journeys. And so thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for for your kindness. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your podcast. There's not enough Asian American voices. So um, thank you for what you do. Um, This unique form of ministry where podcasting is so popular. It's like there's a new podcast every day, but I feel like the voices that have been made invisible are silenced. We need to uplift it. So thank you so much for your podcast ministry. Grace, I actually encountered your work a few years ago as I was venturing into ministry myself. And I have to say that your voice was one of the voices that made me realize that there was a different path. And so I, you know, as you're sharing about how personal your newest work is, I think, you know, academia doesn't often gratify that all that well. And they say, you know, don't, that stuff shouldn't come in or whatever. But I just think like how much of an encouragement that is for younger women, and especially those who are in academia or who are thinking of ministry or both. So could I just ask, like, what made you step forward into this, knowing the risk? I think because, you know, as I teach theology, I've always said in the classroom and I've lectured about it in so many places around the world. I always say that theology is biography and biography is theology in the sense that we as human beings, we know God is present in the world. God created all of us and we come to know God through our experiences. You know, that's basically the only way we come to know when we read scripture, when we look at King David, when we look at Bathsheba, when we look at Solomon or Moses, you know, we come to know God through their experiences through the context of slavery or colonialism, when they were living in exile, you know, all those stories, we encounter God through our experiences. So I've been talking about that in class, and I keep telling all my students for the last 2,000 years, much of our theology, much of our church doctrine have been written by white male European theologians. And for a long time, we kept saying that they weren't writing from their context, but of course they were. When you look at Anselm's theory of atonement, he's talking about feudal lord and, and serfs and all that, and that's from his own particular context. And we look at Augustine and him struggling with his sinful 
state of nature. That was from his own personal experience, too. He encountered God, and he understood the grace of God through his own struggle of sin and with women and with stealing and all the horrible things that we human beings end up doing. So, for me, you know, at the beginning of my academic career, it was important to write the academic books. So, Grace of Sophia has a little bit of my personal story. That was my first book, but it's very academic. And then the next book is Holy Spirit, She and the Other. And that's highly academic. The one that followed after that is Colonialism Han and the Transformative Spirit. So after I wrote a handful of academic books, I realized I'm just writing for the few that are in the classroom. And, you know, you may all be writers too. It's so much work writing a book or editing a book. And I said, I need to write so that more people will read my books, because I feel like I'm putting in so much time and effort, I find that it's important. So I started to write less academic books, and then I felt more freer to share my stories, because I realized, you know, when I speak at different events, the last place I I spoke was at Gordon-Conwell Seminary in March 2020. Just I got home, and then the next week we were in shutdown here in the U.S., So that was my last place, and I preached there. And after I preached, a bunch of Korean-American women students and some Asian-American students came, and they were crying. They said they have never really heard an Asian-American woman preach or lecture And they said that they were so surprised to hear me. And so they were crying. And in turn, I was crying because I realized exactly how they felt. There are so few of us and we struggle. It's hard to share our experiences of discrimination, racism, xenophobia, and marginalization to the wider white community. So when you see someone of your own ethnicity and background, there is an affinity and they were able to share with me. And, you know, that's one example, but it happens almost every place I go. Before that, I was, I think in Germany and I was doing a panel and after that, Korean students came and they were crying too. So when I experienced these events and when I realized that Many of us, Asian Americans, not just in Canada, not just in the U.S., but worldwide, because we have migrated or there are students around the globe, we are suffering and many of us are suffering in silence. So we need more of us to speak up and share our stories. And once we do, there is a sense of liberation. Once we share our experiences of pain, we can also experience the grace of God, that God has not left us. God hears our prayers and God hears our cries and our lament. So God is with us. And I think it's important to write about it. So when I was busy writing Invisible, I wrote it thinking it's so important to write my personal experiences. And then like a year later, you realize, oh, maybe this is a little bit too personal, but it's now point of no return. And I hope that when people read it, and I'm hoping churches and Bible studies 
can read it. And those who are not Asian American will read it to understand our struggles, that we can work together as people of faith, understanding that we are all created in God's image. It doesn't matter what our ethnicity is. It doesn't matter if we're tall or short, or we have hair or no hair. We are all created in God's image. We are all children of God, and we should all love one another and not be so afraid or be so hateful to one another. And, you know, hate is a very strong word, but that is what many of us experience. And I think during the pandemic, you know, so many hate crimes committed against Asian Americans here, particularly in the U.S., but I've heard some of those happening around the world, too. So I think many of us are afraid to speak up, but we need to speak up. Wow. I feel like we just need to let that sit with us for a little bit. One of the other reasons why we also wanted to connect with you and have you on our podcast is because we wanted to hear your experiences. And I know there was also another book that you had been part of and you had edited called Here I Am, Faith Stories of Korean American Clergywomen. And we want to hear a little bit about what was the experience like editing that book? And what were some of the findings that you, you heard as, as, as many different people would be writing, many women sharing their stories? Uh, what were some of the things that you saw? Thank you for mentioning my book, Here I Am. It's an edited volume published by Justin Press. I am ordained Presbyterian Church USA, and I'm part of the clergy women's group. And we have an annual conference. I was on the board for many years, and we meet online. There's an email list, there's social media groups, etc. So I think there's over a hundred of us clergy, Korean-American clergy, Presbyterian women. And so it's an exciting group. And for a while, I've always wanted to collect stories from women in ministry. Mm. I'm part of that group and I'm part of other groups of women in ministry. But that particular group, we were celebrating, I think, our 20th anniversary. So we wanted to do something special. And I suggested, why don't I edit a book? So majority of the contributors are part of that group. They're engaged in all different forms of ministry. And it was interesting when, you know, I was editing it, uh, recognizing that majority of us Korean American clergywomen are not working in a Korean church or an Asian American church. They are all working in a predominantly white church. So there are several factors for that. One, as a Korean American, it's hard for Korean American churches to accept women as the lead pastor or even an associate pastor. So there's only, I can only name one woman that is like an associate minister of a Korean Presbyterian church here in the USA. It's hard. So many people try Mm. and then they give up trying to find a church to minister in. So that was one finding that was really sad to see, but it is something I see over and over again. Korean churches will accept 
um, young Korean women seminary students, but once they are seeking ordination and wanting to be a lead pastor or a co-pastor or an associate pastor, because of patriarchy, it's really, really difficult to find a church. The second thing I found was this common experiences of racism in the church. So, you know, we expect the church to be this loving place, you know, we are all created in God's image, so let's embrace one another. But that's not what's happening. Uh, a lot of the clergy women are experiencing racism. So, as I mentioned, many of them are in a white church. When they share their stories of racism to other, their lead pastor or the senior pastor or to the elders of the session, you know, they hear comments like, that wasn't racism. And, you know, that's so painful for me to hear because that has been said to me over and oh, over again. Whoa. So mm. growing up in Canada, I thought, I think the context may be a little different in the sense that when you experience racism in Canada, it's not so much um, talked about in black and white terms, you know, white people against black people. But as soon as I moved to the States, it was very clear that racism oftentimes in the public sphere, and I think even within political jargon, is always kind of talked about in black and white terms because of the African enslavement here in the U.S., the long legacy of that. And African-Americans are about 14 or 15% of the population. Asian-Americans are only 6% of the American population. So we're very small. So, and we are given these terms of honorific whites. You know, I don't know what actually that means, but people (laughs) keep telling us and placing that term on us as if there's a hierarchy of people. So white are the best. So we are this honorific whites. But what it does is because white people keep putting that label on us, whatever discrimination or racism that we experience, they always say that wasn't racism. That's just something else. And I hear it over and over again. The woman were telling me and writing it in the book, Here I Am. The other term that doesn't help is this model minority myth title that's placed on us. You know, both of these terms were created by white sociologists in the 1960s to kind of help explain this phenomena of Asian immigration. You know, Asians were migrating from the 1800s, the bulk of us. You know, there are historical records of coming in the 1600s, but a lot came in the 1800s, both here in the U.S. and in Canada. But the other wave came in the 60s and 70s after the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and just my immigration being more easy for East Asians to come over and South Asians. So a lot came in the 60s and 70s. And so the sociologists placed terms like model minority and honorific myth to us. And because of that, you know, every time we say racism, 
they keep saying it's not racism. And they pit us Asian Americans against other people of color. And that's why there's so much tension between here in the US, particularly Korean Americans with African Americans. There's so much tension because they keep, white people keep saying, you're the model minority, you know, African Americans stop complaining about your past, you know, just, just work harder like Asian Americans and you'll become rich and you'll be successful. So it was a disservice for all of us. And so those themes kept coming up with the Korean American clergywoman and many of them are, you know, suffering in silence. The other thing, the good thing is that they are still resilient, very prayerful women. They are very hopeful women and they work so hard in their ministry. They have not lost their sense of hope. They engage in different forms of ministry, church ministry, um, college ministry, chaplaincy, and their own kind of uh, nonprofit work. So women, uh, Korean women engage in so many diverse forms of ministry. And for me, I find, you know, teaching is my form of ministry in the seminary. So there's a lot more more findings. Uh, it's, you know, I'm really proud of that book because I was hoping that, you know, after that book came out, that other groups and other women of color and particularly other Asian American women would come up with more books like that because it's so important to um, kind of for archival reasons to keep our stories because, you know, the next generation may forget. And so it's so important to remember and, and store these stories, but I don't think any other books have come out since then. So I don't know when I get less busy, maybe I'll work on another one, but I, I'm so happy with the woman contributors. They were very courageous to share their stories and to think, theologically on their experiences. So I'm really, really grateful. So, you know, there's a part of church history and then the theology and the ministry. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a small book, but I think it's a mighty book. So if people who are listening to the podcast, if you have not yet heard of Here I Am, it's available on Amazon and different uh, bookstore sites and you can just order it also from Judson Press who published the book. So thank you so much for asking me that question. Yeah, we're going to include a link to that book so you can buy it right away. We all know that everyone's got their credit card information saved on Amazon. So just click buy now. That's easy. It's the easy way to yeah, do it. Thank you. Oh, Grace, I feel like we could talk forever we definitely want to wrap up this conversation just for the sake of honoring your time as well. So is there any last thing that you would want to just express or say as we kind of end off this time? You know, during the pandemic, I think it's been hard for many Asian Americans because of the hate crime committed against us. You know, hate ranging from killing to physical assault to verbal assault. We as Asian Americans need to stand together and I'm grateful for everyone who is engaged in different forms of ministry. I'm grateful for your podcast to kind of uplift our voices. And I'm grateful that you are focusing on women in the ministry. We need to do more of this. We need to 
amplify Asian American voices, because I think traditionally we've been told, particularly women, you know, women be silent, be quiet, just let the men lead, you know, this honor shame system. And so we are kind of ingrained culturally. And it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a second or third or fourth generation. It somehow gets passed on through family and through churches and through our cultural experiences. So I think we have to kind of break out of the mold. We need to become witnesses and shine our lights and be the salt and the light of the world for God and work for God in various forms. And, you know, God calls us to work in so many aspects. So wherever you are working, wherever God is calling you to engage in ministry, that you will feel empowered and that others who have come before us can continue to lead us and, and show us the way. So I just want to encourage people who during this pandemic have felt discouraged and have felt lost or disempowered that they can find hope in Christ and we can be in solidarity with one another. So thank you for all that you do. And thank you again for inviting me to be on your podcast. Thank you so much, Grace. Thank you for being the trailblazer, a voice, those who we are listening to and are shaping us. And hopefully we will have the courage to also step out to be that type of witness. So thank you so much. Thank you again. And thank you to you guys, our listeners, for joining us on this conversation today. There's so much to reflect on what Grace shared about. What does it mean for you to share your stories and to listen to the stories of others? We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or by email at contact.campodcast at gmail.com. That's contact.campodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. And if you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. That helps us get this conversation out there and remember to share it with others as well. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.